You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Bath. To find out more about us, visit our website at www.oasisbath.org. So over the past few months, uh, we've been sharing a series of talks under the uh, title Already Good. Um, And uh, back in September, uh, I kicked things off by talking about original sin, uh, which is this idea that we're born sinful, that we're born with an inbuilt tendency towards selfishness and destructive thoughts and behaviour. And in some versions of the theory, this means that we're also born under condemnation, that we're on the the opposite side of a great divide from God, that we're born into this kind of separation and we're destined for eternal separation unless something is done about this. So that's, that's the kind of idea of original sin. Uh, and in that talk in September, I sort of summarised what I wanted to say by uh, quoting from uh, uh, this book, which is Original Blessing, by Danielle Schroyer. And I quoted uh, what she said, which was this, original sin is bad for people and it isn't in the Bible, time to get rid of it. So... That, I think, summarises kind of where I was wanting to come from and I think where we've been wanting to, to come from as we've gone through this series. So it's been interesting to pick up on some of the reaction to this series as we've gone through. Um, uh, some, some of us are saying, um, in particular, well, I don't see the problem. I never believed in original sin anyway. I don't, don't know why we're talking about this. Um, while for others, it might seem like it's such a foundational belief that it might feel a little bit like playing a game of Jenga and you're pulling out that piece right at the bottom and you're thinking that the whole thing might just fall over and so you really don't want to pull that piece out. So it might feel like that for some of us and maybe others of us are kind of somewhere in between. But I think whatever our stance, whatever we kind of feel about this, I think there is a question which naturally arises um, from all of this and it's reflected in the opening words of uh, Daniel Schroyer's book actually. Uh, And I'll just read what she says. So, a pastor and a priest step into an elevator. I was the pastor. The priest was a new friend I'd made at a conference. We'd been jovially debating theology for a few hours in the conference hotel restaurant. My friends and I in our jeans and t-shirts and him in his sturdy white collar and crisp black shirt. Ever the priest, even at the last call at the hotel bar. As we stepped onto the elevator, I mentioned that I was writing a book about original blessing. Surprised, he asked, wait, so you don't believe in original sin? I laughed, no, I definitely do not. He raised his eyebrows incredulously as he said, in all seriousness, then why do we need Jesus? Why do we need Jesus? It's a good question. Why do we need Jesus? And I want to think about that a little bit this morning. That's um, the topic um, that's been given to me this morning, which I've gladly accepted. Um, There are two ways, I think, of thinking about this question. Why do we need Jesus? There is, we can see it as a kind of a theological question, that it's about our beliefs uh, and that we're we're saying, okay, so if we take this little bit out of the the, the kind of the puzzle, where does Jesus then fit in, in all of that? Or another way of putting it would be to say, why did Jesus come? Why, why did Je- what did Jesus set out to achieve? What was his mission? So that's a kind of a theological question, which is about like how, do, how does all this all fit together in terms of our beliefs? But I think there's also a personal question that is, is there as well. Why do we, why do you and I need Jesus? 
And that's quite a different question. It's related, but it's, it feels like quite a different question. I'm going to try and think about both of those questions this morning. So there's a the theological question, and then there's that more personal question. Why do we need Jesus? So what did Jesus come to achieve? What was his mission? So I think many Christians perhaps would say something like this, that Jesus came to bridge that divide between God and humanity. That in, in this way of understanding things, there is this gulf between us and God, uh, and it's instituted by God. It's God that has kind of put this gulf there, um, and he is the holy God. He's unable to look upon sin, and we are wretched sinners on the other side of this divide, unable to cross this great gulf that separates us. Only Jesus, through his death on the cross, can bridge the divide. So in this way of understanding Jesus, his mission was to die. That's why Jesus came. So there's a kind of way of understanding things. And people might frame it slightly differently. I think a lot of Christians would still think, well, that's, that's what it's about. That's what we believe. And so if we understand Jesus in that way, then taking out this idea of original sin might seem like it can, kind of does destroy any, any reason, any sense for why Jesus uh, would come, what we may well want to ask, what's the point of Jesus then, if that's the case? But it seems to me that there's a much better answer to that question of why Jesus came. What did Jesus come to achieve? What's the point of Jesus, if you like? There's an answer which I think does more justice to the whole sweep of the story of Jesus, and in fact the whole kind of story of the Bible, really. Um, and so the way that I've kind of framed it is, is like this. Jesus came to proclaim, to demonstrate, and to inaugurate the kingdom of God. That's, I think, why Jesus came. That's, I think, what makes sense of the gospel stories in particular, the whole story of Jesus, and as I say, that kind of the narrative sweep of the Bible as well. And, and when we read the stories of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those books that we call gospels, we find that this is really at the heart of what Jesus was about. That word that we translate gospel and sometimes translate good news, always, always in the gospels relates to the kingdom of God. So, for example, in Matthew 4.23, we get a summary of what Jesus was up to. Matthew says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. So the good news is the good news of the kingdom of God. That's what it's about. That's the focus. It's not this narrow kind of understanding that perhaps we might have, uh, might have kind of inherited or, or heard. It's something much broader. And Jesus spoke about the kingdom of God in his teaching. He demonstrated what it looked like in his miracles, but also in his, his, his healing uh, in his healing ministry, but also in those meals that he shared with people, in those interactions with people, often around a meal table. Jesus demonstrated, as well as speaking about what the kingdom of God looks like. But what do we mean by the kingdom of God? Okay, otherwise, it's just a bit of jargon, isn't it? And we can say, well, yeah, okay, but what does that actually mean? What do we mean when we talk about the kingdom of God? Um, and it may be language that we feel a bit uncomfortable with. It's kind of got some slightly awkward connotations, I think, hasn't it, about power um, and, and all of that stuff that comes with that. Um, the language of kingdom perhaps has been associated with the language of empire at times. Uh, I can remember being at a conference um, many, many years ago now, but it, it's really struck with me, um, and it was, uh, it was the, 
Baptist World Alliance Youth Conference up in Glasgow. So uh, it was gathering together kind of representatives from the Baptist church, the Baptist family from across the world. Um, and in, in those days we were young, so we were able to go. Um, so uh, anyway, we were there and uh, the theme was Jesus Christ is Lord. Um, and so it's that same sort of language of, of lordship, of rule. Um, and I can also remember this guy from one of the African countries standing up and saying, we find this language really difficult because for us, the language of lordship particularly, but this idea of rule and kingdom has such stronger connotations with, with, uh, with empire, with being taken over uh, and all of that stuff. So language does matter. So we might kind of feel like, well, I'm not sure about this kingdom language, but um, the reality is that really what the kingdom of God is talking about is it's really talking about what happens when life is lived in the way that God intended us to live. It's language which was familiar to Jesus' uh, hearers uh, and made sense in his context, but that's really what it's talking about. It's talking about what life looks like when it's lived in the way that God intends. It's about peace and justice. It's about the weak and vulnerable being cared for and the rich and the powerful being held to account for the way in which they use their wealth and their power. It's about creation being cared for rather than abused. It's, if you like, about heaven coming down to earth. In Matthew's Gospel, the language of the kingdom of heaven is used. That might make us think it's another way of talking about heaven, but it's not. It's, it's earthy. It's about here and now. It's about the realities of life. It's about what happens. What does life look like when it's lived in the way that God intends? That's what Jesus came to speak about, to proclaim, to demonstrate, and to inaugurate, to, to kind of do those things which will bring these things to pass. It's not just coming with some nice ideas. He's coming to do things which will bring this into being. And when we think about Jesus' death and resurrection, we need to see it in that same context of that, that whole ministry, that whole story. So it's a grand vision. It's a big picture, isn't it? But it's not pie in the sky when you die. It's very much about the here and the now. This, I think, is what Jesus was about. This is why he came. This is why we need Jesus in order to show us what this kingdom looks like. And in proclaiming and demonstrating the kingdom of God, Jesus was calling people to participate, to join in, to experience the blessing of God for themselves, but then to be a blessing to others, to pass that on, to be part of this movement for change. And so when Jesus came proclaiming and living out the kingdom of God, it was bad news for the people in power who wanted to hold on to their power. That's why Jesus ended up on a cross, isn't it? Because it was such bad news for these people that they needed to get rid of him. And it is bad news for people who, who want to be on the top, who want to be dominating others, who want to be exploiting others, who want to accumulate wealth for its own sake and its own ends. All of those things. So the news of the kingdom is sometimes bad news, but it's good news for all those who felt excluded, for all those who felt they had no part to play, for all those who felt they were no good and worthless. It was good news. And it's really easy, isn't it, to, to see a word like inclusion as being just like another buzzword. Um, but it's not. It's, it's fundamental to what Jesus was about, about including people about drawing people in and saying to everyone and anyone, you're welcome, 
And that included the Pharisees. It wasn't just about saying, well, now you're excluded and these people are in. It's everybody. It's come as you are. That's the good news of the kingdom. That's what Jesus came to embody and to proclaim and to declare and to call others to participate. So that's a very brief, sketchy kind of attempt to answer that theological question. Why did Jesus come? What was he about? What was his ministry about? Why do we need Jesus? We need Jesus because we need to know how to live. Jesus came in order to proclaim, demonstrate and to inaugurate, to bring in the kingdom of God. What about that more personal element, that more personal way of thinking about the question, why do you and I need Jesus? Why does Jesus matter to us? Why is this, how does this become something which is not abstract, but something which is about me and my life and the day-to-day realities of, of my life and what that looks like? Why do we need Jesus? Well, we need Jesus because we're also called to participate. That call to participate, to belong, to be part of this kingdom movement comes down to us as well. It's not just something that's kind of historical, theoretical. It's it's a kind of call and a summons that echoes down through the centuries and, and comes to us. And it comes to us not just once, but day by day, moment by moment, if you like. That call to live like this, to be these sorts of people, to embody this way of being to discover what life is about, what it means to live under the blessing of God and to be a blessing to others. That call, that summons comes to us. Because in Jesus, we see what it is to be human. We see what it means to live a good life. One of the summaries of what Jesus did, I think, in the book of Acts, says that Jesus went around doing good. And we can kind of dress things up, can't we? But... You know, if we're just people that go around doing good, that's pretty, I, I'm, I'm up for that if I can manage it. And that's, that's the thing, is it? There's the rub, if we can manage it. Because we kind of have this vision, this kind of idea of what we're meant to be, what we're called to be, what life is meant to be about. And sometimes, sometimes we manage it, don't we? But all too often we don't, <laughs> if we're honest. We want to. We want to live like that. We want to be these people, but somehow it kind of gets lost. Sometimes it can seem really hard to do. And I wonder why that is. Well, often it's kind of outside of our control, isn't it? Often it's just kind of circumstances. Often it's other people. You know, if only other people were like us, we'd be fine, but they're not, unfortunately, so we have to kind of fight our way and muddle our way through. Often, sometimes just circumstances, things happen. Uh, just the stuff of life, not necessarily bad stuff, but just stuff. It just kind of gets in the way and, and we can lose sight of, of where we're going and, and what, what life is about. But I think there's also something deeper that we need to reckon with, something that's going on in us. And that's the reality that sin is still something that we have to grapple with. And I think one of the things that I kind of felt was important to say as we get towards the end of this series is that when we talk about dispensing with the idea of original sin, we still have to grapple with the reality of this thing that we call sin. Now, this is another area where the the language is maybe unhelpful. And maybe we need to find some other ways of speaking about this because sin is one of those words that just kind of 
loaded with so much um, kind of preconception, isn't it? And there's so many different ways in which we might understand it. And it generates feelings in us which are not necessarily helpful and, and all of that. So maybe we need to find some other language. If you're looking for other language to describe sin, then I heartily recommend this book, Unapologetic by Francis Bufford. If you've not read it, I would urge you to read it. He has a way of talking about sin which um, is not repeatable in its fullness on a Sunday morning in church. And for that reason, it kind of resonates, I think. The human propensity to mess things up. And there's a word in there which he um, is, is, I've paraphrased. But it, it kind of it makes it real. It speaks to that's the reality, isn't it? That's, that's the reality of, of kind of how life is and how we are at times. So whatever, whatever language we use, this, this thing that sin is trying to describe is a reality we have to come to, to grips with. And so, as I say, dispensing with original sin is by no means to suggest that, well, we're all good, we're all okay, we just need to live our lives and it'll all be fine and... and it's not like that, is it? We know it's not like that. We have to grapple with and reckon with this reality of, of what this word sin is trying to describe. So we, we need to think in terms of, of morality, in terms of right and wrong. It's not just about us following our feelings and doing whatever seems right to us. There must be that kind of sense, that conversation that we need to have about what does justice look like? What is the right thing to do in a given context? That's why we, we need each other. We need to be able to have those conversations rather than being just kind of stuck in our own heads. But we also need to grapple with the reality of our own lives, which is that we do mess up, that we get things wrong. We think and behave in ways which are harmful and destructive. They're destructive to ourselves, to others around us, to the world that we inhabit. And even sometimes if our actions seem worthy... We know that our intentions and our attitudes aren't what they should be, what they could be. So there's a reality that we have to grapple with. And this is, this is one of those things that makes it a bit more complicated, makes it a little bit more difficult living this life that we're called to live. So how do we do that? How do we live good lives and, and reckon with this, this, the reality of, of who we are? And this brings us back to Jesus. This brings us back to that question, why do we need Jesus? I think we need Jesus because in Jesus we find the truth about who God is and who we are before him. And just think about those stories that we read in the Gospels. You know, when we read those stories and maybe there's, there's, a, there's a crowd of people um, and maybe the Pharisees or the teachers of the law are there and Jesus is doing some stuff and speaking and there's some debate. And you can, you can maybe picture one or two of those stories that may be quite familiar to us. And maybe quite often when we read those stories, we see ourselves maybe, uh, maybe standing with Jesus. How often when you read a, a, one of those gospel stories, you kind of identify with Jesus. You kind of think, yeah, this is where I stand. But maybe sometimes we read those stories and we think, well, I'm... I'm kind of like those people who are on the edge of the crowd who, who kind of need to hear that voice of compassion from Jesus saying, come on in, come in. You're okay, you're welcome, you're loved, you're needed, you're important. There are times when we need to, to hear that, don't we? There are times when we need to hear that voice of compassion reminding us that we're loved, reminding us that we have the capacity to live good lives, to be good people. 
There are times when we need to be reminded of that because sometimes all the, the kind of the mess and confusion just kind of overwhelms us a bit and we lose sight of that. So there are times when we need to see ourselves with the poor and the broken in those stories and to hear that voice of compassion saying, come in, come into the centre, be part of this. But if we're prepared to engage honestly with those stories, there are times when we need to see ourselves stood with the Pharisees, don't we, as well, and the teachers of the law to see that we're the ones that need to hear Jesus speaking those words of correction. Having our behaviour, our attitudes exposed for what they are, forced to admit that we've behaved badly, that we need to put things right, that we need to change. There's still compassion in the voice of Jesus. We're no less loved, but we need to face the truth and the reality of who we are. And if we're to live the lives that God sets before us and and the life that we're meant to live. We need that reality, we need that truth that enables us to face who we really are. But to know that we are loved, that we are treasured and that we have a place. So we need Jesus because we need to know the truth about who we are. We need Jesus because we need to know that we're forgiven. And whether or not we believe in original sin, the reality of life in all its messiness can leave us feeling guilty. Uh, And sometimes the guilt is very specific, isn't it? We know that we've done and said things that have hurt other people and we feel guilty and we should feel guilty. And if we're grown up enough, we, we have the resolve and find the resolve within us to go and put things right, to say sorry, to repair things, to be reconciled. But sometimes uh, that's not always possible, is it? And so then we're left with the guilt. Sometimes the person may, may have died. They may no longer be in contact with us. There may not be an opportunity or a way of dealing with that. And even if we've been able to resolve things, you know, it's a bit like you, know, you delete a file from your computer, but actually it's never really gone, is it? And people that are cleverer with these things can actually kind of, you can find that stuff, which is why when you're getting rid of your computer, smash up your hard drive because the stuff is still accessible. And it can be like that with guilt, that even when we've kind of resolved things, there's still something left behind. Some of that kind of dirt, that contamination is still there. And then when you layer onto that a form of religion, which says that God is on your case and he's not happy, that God sees everything and he's not impressed, then that becomes something really heavy. That becomes a burden that can weigh us down. And so we need to know that we're forgiven. We need to know that God is not like that. And we need to know that God is always uh, treating us with compassion and grace. Jesus came to demonstrate that we are forgiven. And sometimes we kind of carry that weight because other people have put a label on us. Other people have said things to us in the past that make us feel like we're not good enough and we're not acceptable. And that's what was true for many of the people that Jesus encountered, wasn't it? There were people who'd been told they were sinners. They'd been given this label. And Jesus refuses to accept that label. And he welcomes them as he welcomes anybody else. So we need to know Jesus. Uh, We need Jesus because we need to know that we're forgiven. We need to know that there's a place for us at the table. And we need Jesus because we need hope, I think. We need to know that it's possible to live differently. 
I think one of the problems with original sin is it can it's kind of almost a counsel of despair. It says, well, there's something fundamentally wrong with us. And so however hard we try, that's never going to go away. That, that isn't going to change. And so it's always going to be a battle. And we're always going to be struggling to try and be the best that we can be. And maybe we're never really ever going to get there. Never really going to be able to live this life. What we need is hope. We need to believe that we can be different and that we can live differently. One of the stories, I think, which, uh, uh, that we find in, in the Gospel of John, which speaks to this, I think, and, and maybe is kind of capturing something of, of what I've been trying to say this morning in particular, is from John chapter 8. It begins like this. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses commanded us, Sorry, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground, At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Go now and leave your life of sin. So there's a sense in which Jesus was aligning himself with the Pharisees. He wasn't pretending that what this woman had done was okay. There was nothing wrong in in her behaviour. But now there's hope for this woman that things can be different because she's been seen. She's been heard. She's been treated with dignity and compassion and respect. And now there's a possibility that she can live a different life. Not because she's been berated by these men, who are not interested in what the bloke has done, by the way, but not because she's been berated by these men, but because she's been seen and loved and welcomed and accepted. And out of that, there is the possibility of change. It's a very powerful story, and I think it it kind of perhaps captures, as I say, a lot of what I'm trying to get at this morning, which is that if we know and understand who we truly are, before God if we see ourselves as we really are honestly openly facing the reality of the mess and the muck and the the stuff that we get wrong but knowing above all that Jesus treats us too with dignity and respect that we are seen and known and loved then there is a possibility there is hope that we can live the life that we're called to live that we can be citizens of the kingdom that we can be a blessing to others because we have experienced that blessing and that touch of God in our own lives. And so in Jesus, God enters into our world in order to set us free, to bring us life and hope, to reveal the truth. Jesus, the word made flesh, come to dwell among us. Let's pray, shall we?
Well, Jesus, once again, we acknowledge that in you we find all that we need in order to be the people that you call us to be. And we ask that you would help us to live in the truth, to know who we really are before you, to face the reality of the stuff that we get wrong, the brokenness, the mess, but also to be able to see all of that in the context of knowing that we're your children, that we're precious and dearly loved, that we are welcome, that we are called to the centre rather than pushed to the edge. We thank you that there is grace that meets all our shortcomings. And thank you that in this we find hope. We find hope that we can live the life that you call us to live. Because, Lord, you believe in us so much more than we believe in you. You know who we are and what we're capable of. And we thank you that in you we can find the possibility of life. So we ask that you'd help us to kind of to carry all of this into, into the lives that we lead, into the, the challenges, into the sometimes the mess and the, the confusion and the chaos even of life and or the questions that we have and the challenges that we face. Help us to see how all of this connects with all of that. So may we know what it is to be citizens of the kingdom of God. May we know what it is to be blessed. And may we be a blessing to others. Amen. You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Bath. To find out more about us, visit our website at www.oasisbath.org.